The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. I'm delighted that we're joined as our next guest by Ian McKinley, former rugby international, Italian rugby international, and there's a very good reason for that, who's written his book Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption, in association with Jerry Thornley. Ian, thank you very much for being with us. And just to explain to people immediately who may not be rugby fans, the injury that you received playing rugby, what it did to you, and yet you continue to play on. Just describe the injury. Yeah, so back in 2010, um, I was playing for my university and I was on the sort of rugby ladder, as it were, getting up to um, you know provincial level with, with Leinster and played for the Irish under-20s growing up. Um, but was playing for my university at the time and found myself at the bottom of a ruck, so wrestling for possession. Uh, landed on my back and unfortunately a teammate... Um, Basically, his foot made contact with my face and in particular his stud made contact with my eyeball and burst my my left eye. So it was a fairly severe and strange injury, to say the least. I can imagine to many people listening to it, it sounds absolutely horrific. How painful was it? No pain whatsoever, would you believe? I think it was just maybe shock kicked in or, or something, but the vision went uh, completely black and was rushed straight away to hospital um, just to check if I had a fracture in my, my cheekbone or something like that. And I knew maybe the severity of it then when people in A&E, um, here was me sort of going into A&E still in my rugby kit and my, my boots clanking up against the, the, the hospital tiles and uh, people were stopping and staring at you because the eyeball was not uh, exactly where uh, it should be and not it uh, didn't look exactly how an eyeball should look. It sounds so, like something like of a Halloween horror film. Yeah, it? I'd probably fit in with with the with the uh, with the dressing up uh, at the time <laughs> that's coming up. But uh, yeah, it, I had a look at it in the car when we when we then headed off to um, the Ioneer in Dublin uh, just to to get a, a specialist to really look at it. Um, and it just the best way I can describe it was, you know, the layers and layers of cling film going around my eye, so my eye was very discoloured and uh, looked like. A a stew almost of, of you know, just madness, essentially. And it was, uh, you know, slightly out of its socket. So not uh, not a pretty picture, certainly. So they put the eye back in? So I had uh, emergency surgery straight away in the eye and ear. And, uh, you know, it's not like a, a cartoon where it was dangling out, but it was definitely, it, it had shifted from where uh, your eye should be. So um, I had emergency surgery there for about four hours, which is, what I was told was quite a long procedure on such a small, delicate part of, of the body and um, was just told to um, wait and see how much uh, or how successful the, the surgery was because it was essentially just to save the eye. Um, and thankfully, a few days later, I was uh, beginning to regain uh, seeing light, which was a, a massive uh, breakthrough and uh, sort of, I think, surprised the the surgeon so uh, but it was definitely a long road to uh, recovery I was surprised to read that you actually did get 70% of the sight back Mm -hmm. for a while Mm -hmm. but now all the sight is gone in Mm -hmm. the eye yeah you went back playing rugby again Mm mm-hmm did that contribute to losing the remaining sight in your eye? 
No, I don't think so. So, I mean, I was told of a year of no activity. So uh, it's sort of when you get injured, uh, any sports person would tell you, you know, if you get a, an upper body injury, maybe you can work on your, your lower body or, or vice versa. So for me, it was literally a situation of I had to follow a strict procedure of, of no activity and uh, putting in drops, um, you know, every hour or so. And it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the most exciting time to uh, to to uh, to follow this uh, strict uh, these strict procedures. So, you're what uh, age at this stage? I was when the accident happened. I uh, was twenty, so just just turned twenty, so fairly young. So that was the the I suppose the frustrating thing was that having been told of a, of being a year out um, to eventually uh, playing six months in anticipation with uh, back with Leinster uh, so Joe Schmidt's first year so getting back uh, so quickly was a, you know a relief from my standpoint and and um, I think you know the doctors were pleasantly surprised about how quick that happened but as you said I developed uh, further complications my vision got better and improved and went on to play more games with, with Leinster and um, but my vision then was uh, was actually after the 2011 miracle comeback match from Leinster um, in 2011. My vision just got really cloudy and I developed a cataract, which required a couple more surgeries. And then the worst case scenario, which is uh, for anyone that knows anything about eyes, your retina uh, is really the most important part uh, in terms of uh, your vision. And to that detached. That detached, yeah. Um, And so you go in with your hopes and dreams of of coming out sort of recovered and you can get back to to training because I suppose as as a rugby player in particular, you're you know, you're, you you don't want to waste time. You know, you're in competition the whole time for places you want to try and climb the ladder. So unfortunately, my retina was three times uh, greater than what could have been uh, repaired and left the hospital, the Royal Iron Air in Dublin, age 21, to be told that your your vision in your left eye is gone. So sort of your dreams and, uh, and aspirations are sort of dashed. But hold on, could it have been that the thumps that you would take in rugby would actually have contributed to further deterioration of the eye that you might have been able to save it if you hadn't played rugby? Well, the vision never got back to any, you know, it, it got back to 70%, um, you know, in, in, in a general term. So that's, you know, really did surprise the the doctors. But, you know, I followed every bit of advice uh, that was given to me and they were very... Um, comfortable with me going back uh, and no I mean I never got any indication that any sort of contacts or collisions or anything like that would have uh, contributed to it. And when you went back playing were there any individuals on the pitch who might have tried gouging at that eye or your other eye? Yeah, so this is will, will lead on further to the story as to why I maybe used a certain uh, product. Um, but yeah, there. I was. Yeah, I was. Um, unfortunately, I was gouged twice in my good eye. Uh, one was certainly worse than the other, um, and certainly not a very pleasant uh, moment to uh, to 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 Sorry, be involved. That does not in, speak well of people playing professional rugby that they would have done that now. Even if they didn't know that you had a serious issue with one eye, you know, to go gouging is bad enough anyway. But if they did know that you had an issue with an eye and still went and did that, that does not speak well of them, does it? Yeah, of course. You want it stamped out of the game. And and, I mean, I talk about it because it it is the reason why I wore what I wore uh, in years to come, because, you know, you obviously uh, rugby is a big part of my life but you also don't want to be stupid you know you you want to protect whatever vision vision you have so they were certainly uh, unsavory incidents which um you know thankfully didn't uh, ever happen again but uh, yeah I certainly wasn't pleased at the time 
tell us how you got back to playing and tell us, well, you've mentioned this product, which is effectively a set of goggles, really, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, so I haven't retired age 21. You know, I just wanted to get out of Ireland, to be honest, to get away from the rugby bubble within Ireland. And, uh, you know, Leinster were fantastic in helping me uh, with coaching and and just being available for me. So through that link, um, I got a call from Italy and a club in northeastern Italy in a, a town called Udine. Uh, and they said, would you basically like to come over and coach? And you know, I, I ran with the, with the opportunity uh, as quick as I could. I just, uh, it just fitted with whatever was going on in my mind and um, was really happy in my job. It was everything I wanted it to, to be, but then there was still the sort of burning desire that ultimately at, at 21, you've retired and now your uh, ex-former teammates, uh, you know, are getting these big results with uh, either the national team or provincial teams. They're winning cups and, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to experience that and just felt that there was so much left behind that um, I really wanted to leave no stone unturned or trying to think of what sort of solution could could come about. So, um, so I, you still wanted to play rugby even though it had done this life-changing incident to you? Yeah, I never fell out of love with it. Um, you know, I, I did find it difficult watching games. I really, I didn't watch that many, but, you know, I was still involved with it um, at grassroots level. And then, as I said, Leinster uh, coached some underage teams um, with them. So I never, it's given me an awful lot, even though it's it has taken away the sight. Uh, it's given me a lot more than, than, than not. So, um, you know that that was never in, in question for me um, at all, which you know you, some people would find maybe maybe surprising, but um, I think it was just also the fact that um, there was just a lot that that wasn't achieved, and and that was always sort of uh, in some ways a, a chip off my shoulder. Okay, and, to get back playing, your brother was a very influential part of that yeah. as well, but also designing and finding somebody who would make a set of goggles for you Mm -hmm. to protect your eye when you're on the pitch. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I suppose... There was, there was sort of the the, the mental build up uh, inside my head, and, and thankfully, and he came to visit me in two thousand and thirteen to see obviously how I was and my setup was, um, and I just burst out crying in front of him, um, and that was sort of my emotional release, and thank God I did because if that didn't happen, I don't know where that my career would sort of have ended up. So um, yeah, Philip um, saw that I'd still had all the attributes um, to be able to play rugby. You know, I could still pass and kick. It was just this one issue of not being able to see out of my left eye. So rugby eye protection or rugby goggles was not really a, a massive thing. So we ultimately, I'd say, uh, annoyed uh, and kept asking questions of the the right people in uh, the IRB, which would, they were known as, and now World Rugby. And thankfully, uh, Rugby Goggles became available um, in 2014. So picked up the first pair and started playing with the club that I was coaching in, in, in Italian rugby, which was a fairly uh, low level. Uh, so to go from my uh, last rugby memory, age 21, from when I first retired, uh, sort of being on the pitch with the Leinster team, lifting a Heineken Cup in the Millennium Stadium to then fast forward three years wearing a pair of goggles uh, playing in front of a, a man and a dog uh, on a on a rain-soaked uh, pitch in Italy. Um, but I was just as happy being back and uh, seeing if these goggles were uh, a good fit for Describe me. Describe the goggles. Are they a bit like swimming goggles? or More like skiing goggles. So I've been, uh, you get a few jibes from people and <laughs> a few slags. So uh, it would be like a, a ski goggle and I would have worn a scrum cap over that to give an extra layer of sort of uh, protection or to keep the goggles 
rules in place. So yeah, you you uh, people think as well that they enhanced my vision, um, but they they didn't. They were just there to protect my eye because of we as we've spoken about from the gouging incidents. It was just to make sure that my right. A functional eye uh, didn't come into contact with a stray boot or fingers or because anything that like that. that could leave you blind. Exactly, yeah. Which the chances of something like that happening again are really very uh, small, but I just didn't obviously want to take that risk. And yet a number of the countries, including Ireland, in which you could have played for your Italian team, initially wouldn't allow you to play against them wearing these goggles. What was the objection? Yeah, so that was very um, frustrating because uh, everything on the pitch was was going well. So I was comfortable and confident with the goggles and I was sort of climbing the, the ladder uh, in Italian rugby, getting back up to um, the professional level. So during the World Cup in 2015, um, I'd been called to play for a team called Zebre Parma, who they're now known as. Um, so they would compete in the same league as, you know, the four Irish provinces um, and... I was picked to play a game in Ireland, but unfortunately there were three unions, Ireland, France and England, that um, didn't uh, sign up to the trial of the goggles. So unfortunately I wasn't allowed play, which obviously was putting a roadblock to my career and also a lot of kids uh, playing in, in Ireland weren't allowed to use the goggles. So um, that was obviously a, a very frustrating time, but thankfully we got good public support Um uh, to hope, you know, to put a bit of pressure, and thankfully the IRFU changed their decision. And subsequently, because of that, I was then able to sign on for uh, a team called Benetton Treviso, who compete in the same league. And then you ended up playing how many times for Italy? Nine. Okay. Yeah. And played against Ireland how many times? Three and three losses. <laughs> and your last game was for Italy? against Ireland in the Aviva, yeah, in Dublin. Good uh, place pre, to finish. Pre, pre World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you were to script it, it sounds perfect. Uh, the fact that we lost and I had a kick charge down, I'm not exactly too happy about it. But um, yeah, I mean, fantastic memories. And, and I suppose people who may not follow rugby might know about the, the residency rules. So because I hadn't played for Ireland at international level, uh, if you played or um, played for uh, an Italian club, for example, for three years, you became eligible. So um, I I did arrive in 2012. I could have been eligible in 2015, but I had no aspirations to, uh, even though I wanted to play, I didn't have aspirations to play. But because I started up again with the goggles in 2014, I became eligible in 2017. Do you ever become bitter about what happened to you? It's a good question. I think if I wasn't able to experience um, the six years with the goggles, uh, I probably would have been. Yeah, um, and definitely I would have been bitter. Um, not so much in the aftermath of the accident, but as time went on. And I think that's why sort of my emotions uh, boiled over a little bit uh, to my brother. Um, but I think as I write in, in in the book, you know, I'm I'm very much at peace with uh, with with uh, what's uh, with my decision making process. And not everyone, not every professional athlete gets to sort of finish on your own terms. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, finish on my own terms, even though retiring twice at 31 is <laughs> probably too many times. But <laughs> what about whoever was responsible for it? I mean, are you happy that it was an accident? Because I was fascinated to read that one man saw the video who was the director of sport in UCD mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. John McLean, who has since been imprisoned because of crimes that he carried out. I mean, would you be confident that he was telling the truth when he said that it was an accident, given that nobody else has actually seen the video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't no. have any concerns about no. that? No. 
How much of it do you think comes down to the fact as well that you grew up in a family, your father was a Church of Ireland minister? Do you think mm-hmm. maybe sort of forgiveness is a trait in the family? Uh, no, I think I'm, I mean, I'm fair, fairly uh, blunt about things. Like I don't mind being told how good or bad um, situations are. So I think, you know, um, it was very much a thing of just trying to get back as quick as possible from you know, when the injury happened and obviously when, when I was told then that the vision is gone, you do realise that people have situations that are a lot worse than yours. What did happen to me in my situation, you know, felt like a, a death, if I'm to be honest, and my family did feel like that. But you do have, maybe growing up in a rectory, you do have a bit of perspective from people who don't necessarily have a home or something like that. Maybe that played a part in it, but uh, I knew you know, that there is another life to live out there. You, you could very easily go off the, the, um, off the beaten track. Um, but thankfully I didn't go too far down that. There were probably a few nights where I did, but um, just very lucky to have a good group of people around me uh, that were able to support me when I needed them. It's all there in the book Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption. Ian McKinley, thank you so much for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.